We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at the Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm joined today by my colleague, Madeline Osborne, managing editor at the Federalist. Madeline, welcome back. Thanks, Emily. Glad to be here. <laughs> I like how you always are like you're on a radio show. <laughs> I guess it's called Federalist Radio Hour, but like you're, you're like you're calling it a talk wait, radio. Wait, is this not live? <laughs> <laughs> long time, long time fan, first time caller. <laughs> uh, OK, so we're, we're counting down major media blunders of 2021, uh, courtesy of Tom Elliott at Grabian, who compiled a really helpful list, actually. Um, and we're just going to sort of walk through what Tom identified as the top 10 most mortifying media moments of 2021. You can watch his video on grabian.com and we'll link it in the bio here. Um, but it's actually starting with uh, the, his 10. Number 10 is Joe Scarborough's profanity-laced meltdown, and this is what Tom writes. Sizing up the impact of the Capitol Hill riot, the major media appeared consumed with one thought. How can we make this worse? Joe Scarborough was first out of the gate, taking to the air like a coked up rodeo bull, randomly looking for things to break. In the span of a few minutes, he demanded extrajudicial imprisonment of Trump's family and campaign workers, then went on an expletive filled rant attacking the Metropolitan Police Department. 2021 was off to an exciting start. <laughs> um, so, yes, demanding the extrajudicial, extrajudicial imprisonment of Trump's family and campaign workers. Madeline and Trump himself. I just, okay, so I just watched this clip for the first time. I never saw this in January because I don't watch MSNBC or any cable news. We're, um, we're, by the way, and I, I say this on the podcast, sometimes, I keep MSNBC on in the background every day that I work from home on mute. I'm so and, sorry. Well, I do it because, I mean, it is interesting. And it's like every time I look up, every time I've looked up for the past year, it seems like, you know, half of those times I'm seeing january 6th on the screen just like b-roll footage yeah from january no, that 6th. doesn't surprise me at all um sam i do occasionally watch the evening news like my local news and it's the same I know. so i know you do. <laughs> <laughs> um local news is the best news um but i'm just all that to say i just watched this joe scarborough clip for the first time it, it was shocking it was disturbing i i honestly can't believe that he was allowed to act like this on television. I mean, I guess I can because of what MSNBC lets fly all the time. But if you haven't watched this clip or this video, it's it's definitely worthwhile just to see the crazy out there. He calls, he, he basically says, quote, this is, I guess, is this January 7th, the day after it happened or the day, I guess it's the day after. And he's like, basically calling for Trump and Donald Trump Jr. and Rudy Giuliani to, he's seriously demanding that for them to be arrested and booked and like thrown into jail that day. Right. Like he like, in a a way, yeah, in a way that he like, like fully expects it to happen. It wasn't just like being hyperbolic. I mean, it was hyperbolic, but scary. Right. And you know, honestly, having raw reactions especially i mean i don't know joe Joe scarborough i guess worked on capitol hill so i can understand why it would be even more raw in his case but i don't want to give him that sort of benefit of the doubt because he's basically you know i mean he's he's a commentator um but listen i mean it was it, it was shocking to watch it unfold. And I think within the 24 hours of seeing it unfold, when we were being told by the media that um, Officer Sicknick, for instance, had been bludgeoned by the protesters to death. Um, and that was appeared in. in yeah. The media. And cop, cop killers. That was that was the line. And it was, that was the story was that Trump supporters were murdering police, like at least five policemen. Yeah. And I think that's sort of how this all spiraled out of control. It's like I understand people having very raw emotions, having watched it um, because the Capitol is not just a symbol. It is actually this like living breathing uh building in which we do our work as a constitutional republic um and where we do the people's work as a constitutional republic and it was attacked um and so i think that is emotional for a lot of people as they and disappointing for a lot of people on the left and the right emotional disappointing for people on the left and the right as they watch this unfold but i think this is such a good example and the scarborough rant is such a good example of how 
the the very people who are complaining about the shattering of norms the very people who are complaining about civility the very people who are complaining about disinformation the very people who are complaining about reckless media actors are all of those things and they have no self-awareness and they have no ability to atone for their own transgressions and so that's how these stories spin wildly out of control in that like could we in a different culture where every institution is not corrupted by this lack of the sort of lack of self-awareness coupled with this broken morality if if we existed maybe we could have all come together and had a sort of consensus and tried to figure out what went wrong um but now we have to like on the right you legitimately have to debunk all of this disinformation mm-hmm. and it becomes a different story and it's just it's very hard to sort of work through these issues because you have our arbiters um, lecturing us in this way that is wildly inappropriate and hypocritical so it's like how can we even right. deal with this and it's I think the thing for me and it's not that not that we don't already know that corporate media outlets are already completely garbage but like one of the things that even we talk about even though we don't cover a lot of breaking news at the federalist but we still do occasionally and one of the things that our editors always remind us is like hey if there if this is like a, a a big breaking news story a terrorist attack or whatever like we don't jump to conclusions, right? We take we, a breath, we, we take a breath and we wait for real reports to come out and we prove evidence and we wait for, uh, the fog of war to kind of settle down and for Joe Scarborough in the moment in the fog to like, just react that way, I think is a disservice to all Americans. Like what if this was another nine 11 and it was just like completely bunk information. I don't know. It's just, it's like I said, it's not like we need anything, any more evidence to indict how corrupt the media is, but like, this is just another example of that. Yeah, that's not a bad point. That, that is a good point in that, like, media corruption is not, it, it, it the sort of downstream effect of, of real disinformation is that we all get um, wrapped up in these, I guess, like, faux controversies, or uh, not faux controversies, but these, like, secondary and tertiary layers of the story that you have to kind of slog through um, as you're also trying to address the substance and it's like wildly unconstructive and dangerous and all of those things but um, none of the people in power have the self-awareness or the the courage to to see it that way and I actually think um, it was smart of Tom to include this uh, as one of the top moments of the year because it does set the tone he, Scarborough was not alone um, mm-hmm. really like that kind of reaction really set the tone for the rest of the year and Tom's number nine is the media inventing a series of false January 6th claims. Um, He says almost everything initially reported about the riot turned out to be false. The attack wasn't planned on parlor rioters, but rather Facebook rioters didn't come with plans to kidnap lawmakers. Um, there were in fact left-wing activists involved and the media immediately pronounced this quote, a conspiracy conspiracy theory. Um, even as just about everything the media told news consumers about the Capitol riot turned out to be false, that hasn't stopped them from continuing hyperventilating about it every day since usually at the expense of actual important news stories and so tom actually counts this down uh, or he keeps going with the 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 false narratives that came out um he talks about the rioters didn't quote kill five people which was a regular refrain in the weeks after the uprising that by the way is a re- that is really worth remembering um mm-hmm. that, that was a refrain in the media tom says only trump supporters were killed that day and the police officer who died expired of natural causes as per his, his autopsy i would add to that i mean i think obviously we saw a spate of suicides from uh, capitol police officers um in the actually really in the year after this um i would i would add of course that i think those clearly were connected to the day um it's not fair to frame them as you know the the direct consequence of trump supporters bludgeoning on the on the heads with fire extinguishers which in the case of officer sicknick did not happen um but i think it you know it caused a it caused a whole lot of, of damage that resulted in death is one way to put it and especially when you hear the stories of 
not the like not the officer Fanones of the world, but um, although his story is again like if he hadn't played it up, I mean his story is pretty compelling, and some ter- he saw some terrible things happen that day. But when you you look mm-hmm. into the stories of from the Capitol police officers, um, I can understand why it would be traumatic. So that's true. But again, it's a great example of how the media's insistence on spreading false narratives and lies harmed our ability to like appreciate the real tragedy. Exactly. Um, Tom goes on to say the rioters also didn't, quote, bludgeon a cop to death with a fire extinguisher. Rioters didn't bring, quote, zip ties to the protest. Um, There's just this line of things that were, as Tom said. The fire extinguisher one was huge, like even more than like the rioters killing five people. I'm sure that was repeated a lot initially, but like the fire extinguisher thing went on for months. The New York Times, I don't know if they ever even issued a correction for it. Maybe they eventually did, but that was something we had to cover a lot that like a man was not beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. He had a heart attack later. And that is something that you did not hear once in corporate media. Right. That, you're right. That was huge. And it's huge because it was also so persistently used by powerful people in the media. I would bet um, the the bulk of the country probably still thinks that's what happened because you can't put the yep. money back in the bottle that easily. And the, and the one person who was actually shot with a gun, with the, a weapon in the Capitol was a police officer shooting a Trump supporter, Ashley Babbitt. And that you didn't ever hear about that. Right. Well, and well, if you heard about it, I think it was it was framed um, differently. And I mean, and we still don't know. I mean, we technically do, but it's not it's like an unsaid thing. The officer who killed Ashley Babbitt. Right, right. Um, Nobody knows that person's name. There's sort of a lack of journalistic curiosity about what happened in, in that situation that is not mirrored by a lack of journalistic curiosity in, in other situations. Um, Tom's eighth story is the media blaming Trump for their their failure to report COVID origins. I absolutely love this one. If you were looking back on 2021, the tide shifted suddenly on these questions of the origin of the pandemic when New York Magazine wrote this long deep dive into the so-called lab leak theory that basically um, was echoing a lot of what people on the right had been saying for months and months and months. And suddenly that gave so-called mainstream people permission to think about this theory as not some sort of grand conspiracy, which was trotted out time and time and again to discredit people who were making a very legitimate argument. It was like immediately discredited as racist, which is even more ridiculous. Yes. Yes. That's another really quick one uh, or another really good point. Um, Tom writes, Rather than following in the tradition of actual journalists before them, um, the media instead seemed to reflexively defend China and smear anyone casting blame at Wuhan's bioweapons lab as racist. Um, And he says, actually, it was worse than that, as the media also partnered with Silicon Valley to censor and blacklist real reporters who were finding evidence linking COVID-19 to the Wuhan lab when 2021 brought the least surprising news update possibly in history that the Wuhan China-based bioweapons lab researching bat-originated coronaviruses was, in fact, the likeliest source of the bat-originated coronavirus, reporters were quick to issue corrections and apologize and, and blame Trump. I mean, it's so true. That's pretty much exactly how it happened. It was that because Donald Trump, th- this was the excuse, that because Donald Trump was a serial liar, um, we can't, which I mean, I think is, is true, um, but it's true of all politicians. Uh, we, it, because Donald Trump is just a serial liar, we of course had to discredit the theory that he was spreading. That, like it could not possibly, like nobody should have taken it seriously. Everyone was right to dismiss, as a, dismiss it as a conspiracy theory because it had come from donald trump and the thing about it i think that's crazy is that it's not really that like wild of a conspiracy theory right like that the virus that started in china started in china like i don't it's not like some pizza gate thing like this is a it's just it was very obvious to every normal americans and i think that's something that we see happen a, like a disturbing amount is that like we just say something really obvious and normal and the media freaks out about it yes and it's a great like it drives me crazy because this is going to happen with every story we talk about but this one in particular um 
I think I did the the left like mocked the heck out of this, but I did a, a monologue on rising at some point this year. It, like, is cancel culture literally killing us? Um, <laughs> and that was the that was the headline. And it's actually it's it's on, it's up on our website on the Federalist. But like, is actually is because in that case I was talking about how doctors are uh, a Katie Herzog report and Barry Weiss's Substack about how doctors are um, afraid to actually perform certain research um and Mm -hmm. treat people in certain ways like there was a case where they were trying to kick like police officers out of a hospital um because out of an emergency room when they're there to protect people like who are shot by people in gangs and come back to finish the job etc etc um but doctors are uncomfortable standing up in those situations and like actually talking this stuff through but like the lab leak is another really good example of how we're genuinely caught like this is not an abstract debate cancel culture is not an abstract debate it has real immediate consequences on our ability as a country and as a people to advance um and in the case of the lab leak because nobody wanted to touch it or talk about it um it did it just sort of like we sort of stalled on our investigation and into our ability to take it seriously for so long and now people are taking it seriously again and talking about it out in the open um in a way they weren't before but like we lost a year of taking it seriously in this sort of public conversation and that's a serious loss and it's because people were afraid and another um kind of awful trend that we see with every single media cancel culture story is that was definitely huge in this one was like the silicon valley big tech censorship that follows every media storyline right so like if corporate media decides like it's racist and makes and helps trump to say it came from china then like big tech immediately hopped on board. Like even the Federalists, like we were censored for saying it. We were blacklisted from some places for saying for calling it the Wuhan virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's interesting that like big tech. This is in every kind of media story of this year. Like it's like media does this, and then big tech is right behind them. Yeah, no, and it's a great point. That is a really good point. Um, again, here's. <laughs> Number seven, it just follows all so naturally because the same themes come up in every single story. The media wage war on Aaron Rodgers for ignoring their advice. Um, Tom writes, Aaron Rodgers should have known better. Well, you know, I think Aaron Rodgers, and I'm from Wisconsin and a big Packers fan, and I have my issues with Aaron Rodgers, but uh, I think he probably knew exactly what he's doing. He sort of revels in being... um, a weirdo contrarian well a weirdo for (laughs) sure Um, but also a contrarian and uh i thought his (laughs) i thought his appearance on the pat mcafee show was actually pretty compelling um not because like don't take scientific advice from athletes i just don't know how else to say it (laughs) don't take scientific advice from madeline don't take it (laughs) from me don't take it from athletes um but I thought it was compelling because he was sort of going into this issue with information that is in and of itself compelling that the media doesn't want to talk about. And I think he sort of showcased the way uh, those of us who aren't scientists or members of the medical community are processing this information. Um, And it just reminds me that, like, we've made this point before we rely on the institution of capital S science to be the filter between the raw data that we are not uh, capable of interpreting with that level of expertise because we don't have that level of expertise and we can't all be expected to, nor should we be expected to. Um, And if they're corrupted, we lose our window into it. Um, And that is a really dangerous place to be. And I think the entire Aaron Rodgers thing did not backfire on Aaron Rodgers. I think it backfired on the press in a huge way that they don't understand. And the anarchist in me kind of likes that it kind of, he kind of stood up to the NFL too, or right? Or like, didn't... Did you just say the anarchist in you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) how I describe myself politically. Um, But... Does I don't know. Does the NFL did they require people to get vaccinated? Was that part of the story? Is that like he kind of he said he was immune, but he didn't. That was kind of how he got around getting the vaccine. He said he was immunized um, when people right. got his vaccine. <laughs> right, and I don't know. I don't know the NFL policy. Did they require vaccinations? Um, no, they didn't require it. I think you have to wear a mask if you're not vaccinated. So like Carson Wentz wears a mask on the sidelines because he didn't get vaccinated. I think there's stuff you have to do if you don't get vaccinated. I see. Gotcha. 
anyways well i kind of liked that that it was kind of like this uh quiet little like protest against the other major institution at play here terry bradshaw went off on uh aaron Rodgers for being selfish and etc and like michael strahan i think and others on the panel please and again i think like do i think there's a reasonable argument to be made there like that the risks clearly are outweighed by the rewards of a healthy guy like aaron Rodgers taking the vaccine sure but that's a different question than mandating it um it was a completely different question than mandating it. And when you're sort of <clears throat> treating him as an idiot and someone of bad character for making a decision when all of the experts are corrupted, um, it doesn't come across well uh, for to anybody, let alone like average, the, like those of us who just enjoy the NFL and have to hear a lecture on personal medical decisions at halftime. Right. And I think this is a good example that going back again, that to like Tom's whole list of just showing kind of like the media stories of the year, their Rogers story is a good microcosm of like any story that promoted natural immunity at all was immediately shut down. So I think that's kind of what this is good at showcasing, right? Like anybody that ever tried to argue that natural immunity is more effective than the vaccine. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but like we had stories censored that said that, right? And so anybody oh, yeah. who came out saying that or trying to make the case that we should allow for natural immunity the same way that we allow for vaccinated people, like give those people the same privileges, the media immediately shut down took us like made made out to be a loser and idiot yep um and this is a perfect transition to tom's sixth entry here the media mocked joe rogan for a claim they invented about horse bills uh so folks probably remember this one because it's fairly recent like aaron Rodgers. um but Rogan had uh, Sanjay Gupta from CNN on his podcast and just laid into him when Gupta tried to dodge the question of why CNN repeatedly said that Joe Rogan was taking horse tranquilizers when he was treating himself with ivermectin that was prescribed to him by a doctor, um, human ivermectin that was was prescribed to him by a doctor to treat his bout of COVID-19. Gupta kept uh, dodging. He didn't really know uh, how to apologize or he didn't really know how to take Rogan's attacks from the network. He seemed totally caught off guard by the fact that this was something his network had done and that it was something that was seriously infuriating to Rogan to the level that it is. What did you think of this debate, Madeline? I thought it was interesting because it wasn't like Rogan was asking gotcha questions at all. If I recall, I think he literally just asked Gupta, like, CNN is lying here. Like, why are they lying? And they were. Like, they said he was taking horse dewormer. Um, he wasn't taking horse dewormer. Oh, yeah, he was dewormer. Taking... I said tranquilizer. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that, did... that'd be a, a different story. I didn't want to correct you, but yeah. You should absolutely have correct I like <laughs> horse tranquilizer is always, it's something people use in jokes a lot, so it gets stuck in my head. I feel like I use it as a joke a lot. Like when I'm taking my Z-Quil. Because <laughs> you're such a comedian. Um <laughs> <laughs> anyways i think that was what was interesting about their exchange is like it wasn't really a gotcha exchange like i don't it wasn't like gupta was tricked into it was like a very joe rogan was angry but yep. he was just asking straight up questions like why are they lying why are they lying and he couldn't give a, a reasonable answer for why they were lying about just making him look like an idiot yep yep exactly and i think gupta was caught totally off guard by how upsetting this was to rogan which leads me to believe it's sort of like he thought it was not a big deal right that he like and he asked rogan a couple of times like oh did they they said that um and in a way that made it seem as though he didn't realize that they had actually said he was taking yeah i think he had i think he had no idea and i'm honestly surprised that cnn even let him do rogan i'm shocked that they let him do rogan but i think cnn actually ran an article on it um or has a youtube video up on it so i i I also think cnn just sort of no is in the no press is bad press uh camp in general and i I also think they're trying to transition into a different kind of news network but um i'll i do think that Gupta sort of being 
on his heels um, with Rogan just laying into him and him trying to like get out of it, to wiggle out of it was great because you saw in Joe Rogan this like populist anger at the media that is entirely rooted in substance. Like this was a flat out lie, a flat out lie. Um, And Gupta just had no answer for it and no awareness of how upsetting it was. Yeah. And and I think this story just, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about um, about natural immunity, like the media also doesn't want you to hear about effective COVID tre- treatments because the only effective COVID treatment in according to corporate media is getting vaccinated. And I think that's a huge um, issue that the White House is dealing with right now as COVID cases spike. And we see that the vaccine is not stopping the spread. Like, of course, it's stopping hospitalizations and deaths, but like people are still going to get COVID and the White House and the media have done nothing to provide like solid, accurate information on treatments like ivermectin, right? And and I think that's been a disservice to to Americans. Um, and I think that's kind of probably what Joe Rogan's anger is rooted in, right? Yeah. Like this this thing cured me of COVID. Why should other people not know about it? Or didn't, like, I don't even think he was saying it cured him just so much as it was like part of this treatment he took. Right. Um, and he, Treated his symptoms. Yeah, like it was, it was part of this regimen he took. And yeah, no, exactly. Um, and you can't even talk about it. And I think, again, that's the problem. And ivermectin is a good example of one of these things that we've been talking about over and over again on the show, which is that like, listen, Ivermectin, as long as people are making responsible scientific claims about the evidence that we have and not suggesting that we know definitively it's a cure-all and that people should go take horse deworming pills um, from vets' offices, which is not what anybody was saying. Maybe, like, fringe people uh, in the, like, the cobweb corners of Reddit were saying that. But, like, nobody serious was saying that. Um, And so... It reminds me a lot of the... of... from story last year what's the medicine that trump took that the media immediately made it to be out fish fish tank cleaning cleaner yeah yeah it's the exact same thing like they can if they if if trump promotes it or if joe rogan promotes it and they can make you look crazy they're going to yep yep exactly that's 100 percent true um i think you should name your second child hydroxychloroquine (laughs) i can't i'll never be able to say their name (laughs) Uh, number five is to take out tucker reporters demand restrictions on free press this is one of my absolute favorite things that the media repeatedly does because it is so against their own interest, but it actually reveals how their own interests have nothing to do with the free press anymore. Um, Tom writes, surely the most dispiriting recent media trend has been so-called journalists leading the charge to rein in the freedom of the press. And nowhere was this passion for censorship more depressingly on display than when Fox News' Tucker Carlson produced a documentary about the January 6th attack, where progressives once prided themselves for citing Voltaire. I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Progressives are now more likely to pat themselves on the back for saying, I disapprove of what you say, and I will do my best to outlaw you from ever saying it again. So I actually watched patriot purge um and i got fox nation to watch it i watched the whole thing um it's very watchable i had recently watched hbo's documentary um on january 6th i think it's called four hours at the capitol which is a very left-wing perspective or a very center center left perspective Tucker's they, they actually kind of balance each other out nicely because the HBO documentary doesn't get into any of the like obvious questions about um, FBI involvement um, and you know again like both they of just kind of them. accept that the FBI is like all upstanding Boy Scouts they don't even talk about it I mean they, they legitimately don't even talk about it and again like I think the perspective of police officers um, who fought to keep the capital that day are really moving and important. And that's why I actually, despite the sort of uh, obvious, um, obvious, uh, I don't even know, their, their obvious disinterest in the other element of the story, I found it kind of interesting. They're obvious omissions, but um, Tucker's balances it out really well because then you hear the other side of it. And like, do I think it sometimes, it cites a lot of intercept reporting um, on the FBI in the wake of 9-11. Um, there's, I mean, there's some really interesting interviews like the with the Alaskan couple um, who basically had their house raided and what sounds like very reckless um, behavior by the FBI when they thought for really no good reason that they had Nancy Pelosi's laptop. Um, and so like, oh there's gosh. a lot of really legitimate 
and interviews and reporting in, in it. Um, I'm not like super detailed into the story to know whether it's all 100% like responsible and accurate, but I think it, it's raising very legitimate points and is, is worth people watching. And again, the media's just utter disinterest in asking any of these incredible questions is so telling. It is so incredibly telling. It's the same reason they got duped into the Russia hoax because they're such credulous like they take all of the information that the intelligence community gives to them um and they run with it uh because these are their sources and you know they to get on the wrong side of them would close their access to the intelligence community um and so when you have people like john brennan and whoever else on cnn and msnbc um spinning their wheels uh you know that's the same narrative you're going to see echoed across the corporate media I didn't really pay attention to this story much because it was one of those stories that if you know, the me if the media is acting like Tucker needs to lose his job over this, then like that just makes me want to watch it more. Right. So, um, no, you should watch it. There's a lot of interesting stuff in it. No, I mean, I'm definitely want to watch it, but I'm just saying as far as like how they, re the press reacted to it, it was just like, okay, yawn, like you guys do this like every couple of months, like start canceling Tucker's sponsors or whatever. Yeah. But the point that Tom raises is a good one. And there've been these, um, there've been several efforts to organize, uh, advertiser boycotts against Tucker. I mean, not several efforts, like endless efforts. And yeah. it's so funny because what they're doing is they're literally trying to have corporations control the boundaries of free speech in this country by saying, listen, if you're advertising on Tucker Carlson, like we want pharma <laughs> to control what's <laughs> like, like journalists should be responsive to what pharma thinks is the responsible like it's narrative insane. on any political topic. And they are proud of it. Like, it's not just like they're, uh, as Tom says, they're not just like trying to outlaw people via these these corporate mechanisms. And if they could, they probably would have the government um, help Facebook. And in fact, sure. they have done that. Actually, I'm um, sure they do. Right. Yeah, we, we remember that. Um, but I mean, it's just like, it's, it's so bananas and dystopian um, that the ACLU crowd um, and the media crowd that always sort of sympathized with the, the Voltaire uh, line, as Tom points out, has suddenly just become so censorious and precious and wants corporate America literally to police journalism. Madeline, you have nothing to say because that was so brilliant. <laughs> I thought you were about to do number four. Well, number I'm excited four, for number four. Yes. Number four is CNN's Cuomo deceptively defends his brother. Um, this is, I mean, I would maybe put this as the top media story. Uh, Tom has it at, at number four. I would maybe put this as the top media story because the change from 2020 with the Cuomo brothers to 2021, I think, was so dramatic. But what was happening at the time, what was happening at the time was obviously wrong. Um, and CNN, people are like, well, they have no ratings, blah, blah, blah. Let's remember that this is one of the top, not just one of the top news websites in the world, it is one of the top websites in the entire world. Um, their television com their television content is repurposed on one of the most, most popular news sites in the world, period. Um, and so it does actually really matter. I mean, they set norms and they're powerful people. They have huge social media accounts in and of itself. They, like that's powerful, more powerful than their silly, poorly rated network. But like they repurpose this content actually on the, this hugely, hugely influential, influential news website as well. Um, and it was so obviously wrong as this was unfolding. And I remember I wrote about it in like March or April of 2020 being like, why are all of these corporate legacy media outlets just like la like lapping this up like it's a good thing when a supposedly neutral website is giving a governor like free PR for you know, like just 20 minutes on primetime from his brother? I mean, it just seemed outrageous. Yeah, and the thing, like you said about in in 2020, the going back to just like the COVID coverage, not even getting into the governor, the sexual assault um, allegations this year. But like, I remember writing a piece the day that he came on with his giant Q-tip prop. Yeah, and did, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that was like, we all knew, like he was having, at this point, we already knew about the nursing home policy and the corruption there and the lives that died because of him. And he still was having him on 
like to have this like fun, jovial interview without asking any serious questions about that people died at his brother's hands, you know, and that, not that we would expect him to ask his brother those things, but like, don't have him on and don't bring him on and do a comedy routine. Um, so that's what was disturbing about it. It's not like this was some like retroactive thing, like, oh, he had come on. And then we learned about, um, you know, how awful the the nursing home scandal was and the cover up of the nursing home scandal. So it wasn't like we learned about those things later on, like this was happening in real time. But again, this is why. And yeah, to your point, this is exactly why that never should have happened in the first place. And it's why it's a just like a rule of journalism. Chris Cuomo had said before that he had a conflict of interest. And so when you have a major crisis unfolding, New York was the New York City was the epicenter of the pandemic in America at that point. Um, when you have this happening, you don't give a leader publicity to burnish his image on a neutral news network. Chris Cuomo is not a host. He's an anchor at CNN, or he was. That was his mm-hmm. designation. He was considered a neutral anchor. That may sound like semantics it is not it's serious cnn presents him as somebody who is just calling balls and strikes and to put his brother one of the most powerful people in the country at that point where people are dying all of the time in that state it didn't the the nursing home stuff hadn't come out at that point but i remember writing something is going to come out something very well could come out and that's why you should not be giving this man a platform like this which helped him get publicity across the media because it was just this cuomo brothers show that all of these other legacy publications wrote about and had fun with and they were going viral on twitter and there were the memes um, and all of this helped andrew cuomo um, get away with all of this stuff in the dark. He got that big book deal, which he never would have gotten without the, the CNN shtick that uh, spawned all kinds of other coverage. And it's exactly why you don't do it, because you are giving him cover to make big mistakes and bad decisions while the public is paying attention to something else and while the public has a false a falsely positive and overly positive perception of him. It was just disgusting. And it wasn't just a book deal, like a memoir. It was like a book deal about how good he was on COVID stuff. But that's just a side note. All that to say, I think like what you just said is what made me really believe that he would actually never get fired. Right. Like CNN allowed it. They knew it. They covered for him. They had no problem with it. And so that's why when I, when they actually did fire uh, Chris, I was actually shocked. Well, and let's remember it was, I was shocked too, but let's remember it wasn't just CNN that let, they, that boosted the Cuomo brothers shtick. Every, there were like legacy media publications everywhere were doing this. None of them were critical of it, but some of them were actively egging it on. Um, and that's why I would probably put it as number one, just because it was such a, a, transpar- a transparent and consequential display of media malpractice. And, um, and the reason they did that is because in the early days of the pandemic, Democrats immediately latched on to Andrew Cuomo as like, a 2024 or 2020 trump uh like contender or a democrat uh presidential candidate right and so there was even chatter that he would maybe replace biden yeah that's right and so it's like you can see their incentives they're not hidden they're right there like there's a reason that they latched onto him um there maybe people maybe the general public enjoyed his press conferences um because he was doing them out there and more frequently than other governors but like there's a reason that they got well, so, Trump. so quickly yeah that's true that's true um yeah well so another like really clear-cut one is what tom has at number three and it's at number three because it is so clear-cut the press publicizes fake news about border agents quote whipping haitians perhaps the most this is from tom perhaps the the thing more astonishing about the major media today is their complete disregard and in many cases outright disdain for accuracy and fact checking um a hundred percent we've already got into that this was clearly the case when the news media began circulating fake news about a customs and border patrol agent being photographed near haitian immigrants illegally entering america as everyone reading this already knows the infamous photo showed an agent using horse reins in a matter some thought depicted him quote whipping the aspiring refugees that was the quote whipping immigrants became a story too good to fact check many tv talking heads and their democratic allies went even further somehow saying this incident was quote worse than slavery unsurprisingly the biden administration used this manufactured melee to order an investigation as well as to end cbp's use of horseback for patrolling the border this story 
took off because I believe um, a Democratic operative tweeted that CBP was whipping Haitian migrants. People just sort of cr- just just latched onto it. People in the media who should know better latched onto it. Madeline baked into this story um, as somebody who lives in Texas and, and has some experience with these things. Um, baked into this story. With whipping I think, horses. With, with, with whipping. Yeah. No. No. You're, you're, you'll see where I'm going with. <laughs> that sounded bad. Uh, you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, it, it seems to me it's also sort of an exercise in the Charles Murray coming apart thing where sort of coastal journalists wouldn't know what a whip looked like if it literally right. hit them in the face. Yeah, it's obvious that these are reins, um, that that's what anyone uses. Anyone is on a, anytime anyone is on a horse, like I don't care if you're a border patrol agent or like a 13 year old at equestrian camp. Um, and I think it's pretty obvious. So yeah, this is clearly clearly just a ridiculous story all based on like one photo. And the thing that really bothered me about it is the fact that (laughs) I think it was Biden himself that was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to investigate this and we'll let you guys know what our investigation finds. And have we heard about any investigation or results of an investigation? Nope. Will we ever? Nope. I don't think so. What's, what's doubly frustrating about this is that agent got absolutely slandered, not just by the media, but by his commander in chief. Um, I think it was Biden himself. It may have been Saki, but Biden himself, who said something like it looked unconscionable or something to that effect. Um, Um, And I know that's not the media, but they were parroting what the media said. And the media climate sort of made it possible for them to get away with that. Um, And it's just just it's such a disgusting thing to do to a human being who is trying to defend the border, who's putting his life on the line, literally putting his life on the line um, and now just gets slandered by no nothing dumbass like dc reporters um who don't even like know the obvious situation that's unfolding when they see a picture yeah it's disgusting so number two um the media claiming that virginia voters only defeated terry mccullough because they're racist um this is an amazing story because this is sort of um i wrote a piece called the great doubling down after this started to become obvious it was it reminds me of sort of the trump victory in 2016 when People in the media sort of started doing this introspection so briefly, so fleetingly, and then immediately pivoted to racism as the explanation. So like they they're for a moment, they feel like they have permission to talk about what they're actually thinking in their head. <laughs> like you had that panel on <laughs> CNN where Van Jones is like, yeah, maybe this is turning some people off. And then five <laughs> minutes later, it's just fully like everybody is a racist who voted for Youngkin. Yeah, Joy Reid got there real quick. <laughs> doesn't take her long um but yeah madeline this is again like such an obviously untrue story our documentary on, on Loudoun county which is called meet the parents and, and folks can stream it now all holiday season um on our youtube channel or twitter channel or on our facebook um and rumble actually as well that is a good like you hear from these parents themselves, some of whom are immigrants, some of them whom are uh, minorities who grew up in poverty. Actually, they were deeply offended by critical race theory. They were deeply offended by all of these different things. Like it's the opposite of racism. They're actually like so anti-racist um, in the the like traditional sense and the the way we as a country at least used to define racism. They're so opposed and disgusted by the way these like white liberals have developed. Uh, like these academic elites have developed concepts of anti-racism that they went out and became activists and they turned their neighbors into Yunkin voters. I think it's interesting too, because like if, if you know anything about the Virginia race, like you know that race and critical race theory was only a really small part of it, right? Like parents were really upset about schools for, I mean, maybe it's a large part of it, but it was only part of the story. And parents were upset about more things than just that. They were upset about, you know, how they were getting rid of like math and GT programs. And they were mad about how schools have been freaking shut down for a year, being forced to wear masks um, and other types of political indoctrination, not just race. And so for the media to immediately just make that the story showed even more how little they knew about the governor's race yeah that's completely completely true and 
again, we get to the lack of journalistic curiosity here about the real story. And the real story is so much more interesting. Um, Matt Taibbi has a series on his Substack um, where he's talking about how the kind of death of the gifted and talented program in the name of equity was really uh, animating for Asian voters in Virginia in particular and has mm-hmm. stoked this sort of uh, backlash that is really benefiting Republicans. And again, all happening under the media's nose because they're not interested in digging into this lest they be called a racist or and a lot of them are convinced that that is actually um, perpetuating bigotry. Now, number one is another thing that sort of gets to the intel community's relationship with the media. Tom has listed at number one, the media saying, Americans who dislike us, the media, <laughs> are the greatest threat facing the, con- facing the country. Um, he writes that a bit of bad news to end on turns out that if you're not one of the increasingly small number of people unironically watching network news like CNN and MSNBC, you might soon be on a terror watch list. This ever began in earnest after the January 6th riot when it became a popular talking point amongst Democrats and their media PR wing to argue that it's not enough to just go after the perpetrators. Rather, Washington's national security apparatus also must be turned against Americans suspected of engaging in wrong think. This campaign received a boost after a group of public school activists successfully called on the DOJ to begin treating parents who were involving themselves in local curriculum debates as actual domestic terrorists. <laughs> and of course, COVID was another justification for demanding harsher policing of ordinary Americans. Um, those who came to doubt Fauci's wisdom on mass schools and vaccines were thought to have been under the influence of dangerously non-conforming ideas like Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers, of course, and thus blamed for, quote, prolonging the pandemic. Now, What's important here is, uh, well, there's a lot of important here, but one thing I think that stands out is we are now, uh, I think, being increasingly primed by the media and by the government to lump uh, sort of people who disagree with the capital S science and their narrative into increasingly extreme categories. So we're putting more of each other in worse categories, whether it's domestic extremist or a murderer um, with the pandemic, um, all of these, like, a, you know, th- this is like, this can end very, very badly if it continues down this road, especially with the backing of folks in major institutions like media and the government. But I think the domestic terrorist part is is really interesting because Steve Schmidt was on MSNBC. This is a longtime sort of Republican operative who, for some reason, was respected in Washington and I guess maybe still is because he has this MSNBC contributorship and is on all the time um, and is, in general, I guess, taken seriously by the center and the left. He said that this was worse than 9-11, that January 6th was worse than 9-11. The obvious implication of that is we need more resources to the FBI. We need more resources to the Postal Service's domestic spying apparatus, more resources to the DOJ, um, more and more and more spying on Americans, more and more control over ordinary Americans. And that's what we've seen. We've seen more excuses for snooping, more excuses uh, for surveillance. And we saw that in the aftermath of 9-11, of course, Um, even if the right sort of maybe had a a broadly different take on it at the time and is evolving, which I think is the case here. Um, This is this is a really big story because I think it's the it's a glimpse into what could be a very ugly future. And one thing that Tom, he doesn't say explicitly here, but I think what he's getting at when he talks about um, how the media basically only wants Americans to consume their approved news sources and they are any American that engages in wrong think is going to, you know, is a domestic terrorist. Um, it reminds me of this story from a couple of weeks ago. I think you'll have to remind me of exactly where it was, if it was Axios or Politico, but about um, about right wing echo chambers. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think this is kind of going the same direction. Like if you're listening to this podcast right now, like you are engaging in wrong think, right? Any, anyone who reads or consumes um not mainstream which we're not even allowed to use the word mainstream anymore but um not corporate media thanks molly yeah thanks molly for banning us um but you know if if you are listening to this podcast right now you're you would be accused of engaging in wrong think um and that just leads kind of like a slippery slope to you know being classified as a domestic terrorist i think in their eyes 
No, I, I think that's right. Um, and this is, I know I said maybe the the Cuomo story would be at number one, but I think Tom is right to put this one at number one because it is such a, a major development. Um, and to see the media not have any journalistic curiosity about why the intel community that just misled them on the entire Russia hoax might want to encroach more and more on our personal freedoms is uh, alarming. And I think a very sorry state of affairs and we don't see many signs of resistance in the media to it so it's a very big tell about the media um and i think maybe the the story um that's not one of um it's not a mortifying media moment of 2021 as this list is documenting but it's a good story um which is that the democratization of media is giving people like matt taibbi um and Mm -hmm. greenwald um platforms where they can question the official narrative uh, from the left and sort of join people like Alex Berenson, um, who maybe has gotten some things wrong, or I'm sure Glenn's gotten some things wrong. Maybe. I don't know. But like they're asking serious questions. They have legitimate sources um, and they're balancing out the media from these new platforms and getting huge audiences for doing it. And I think that is actually starting to act as a corrective. I don't know if it will, uh, if maybe it's too late, um, but it really is starting to act as a corrective. I think we've seen signs of that when it comes to the CRT narrative, when it comes to um, Inez, our, one of our contributors, Inez Stepman is convinced that now the entire media is coming down with Omicron. <laughs> She's going to change their perspective on, so, on some of these things. Yeah, that's true. So are you, are you hopeful in the sort of era of the Substack revolution or do you think it's too late? Uh, yeah, no, I think I think cable news is already on its way out. Like you said, yes, they have a really seen as a, one of the most popular websites in the world. Um, but as far as like who's watching, more people are watching Hallmark. Um, so I think I think it was already on the decline, and I think that the democratization of media is going to help end it um quicker so i'm hopeful but i mean i guess it'll always be around but they did lose their airport contract so you're not even going to be watching in the airport anymore yeah but again like they just snagged chris wallace for cnn plus and i know it's a joke to think that millennials are going to turn in in mass for chris wallace let alone zoomers but the point is that they're they're uh putting more resources into their streaming service and i think that's a sign they're adapting i think they are very eager to go back to being that sort of breaking news network um where people are turning in during you know the oj simpson chase um or turning in during things like january 6th um and just regular people you know people who aren't msnbc people um and don't want to be spoon-fed that sort of uh, leftist narrative but can trust what they're getting to be reliable information I, i think they realize that and again i'm not giving them lick of credit this is all this is why we use the phrase corporate media because this is a business decision Um, but the fact that they're recognizing there's there might be business in being responsible journalists i think is a good sign but again i think it might be both it might be a good sign and it might be too late yeah agreed madeline osborne managing editor at the federalist thank you for bringing your insights your expertise and your wit to any time i'm happy to bless you with my presence we, we got to do this more often yeah next year next year will be the year <laughs> talk to you in 12 months well <laughs> you've been listening to another edition of the federalist radio hour i'm emily jasinski culture editor at the federalist joined today by, by my colleague madeline osborne managing editor at the federalist we'll be back soon with more until then be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fright.